Internet, I'm Coy Jondro. I'm not Christian Harloff. We look a little different. I'm here. I've got somewhat of a voice, not really. And this is the big thing where we're going to be talking about Secret Invasion finally getting a release date. We're going to be talking about all sorts of John Wick 4 goodness, talking all sorts of Fast 10 goodness, plus lots of big news at a con. So many stories today. Mario, there's a lot coming at you. But first, before we get into it, I want to say that we are trying to get to 100,000 subscribers by the end of the year. So please do subscribe because most of the year I don't sound like this and I'd prefer you to come back and hear me not sounding like a frog. And also Spotify. You can find us over at Spotify and we are one of the only podcasts doing video as well as audio over on Spotify. And finally, please do check out our merch and supporting the merch, supporting us really helps keep this channel going as well as supporting our sponsors. So without further ado, this is the big thing. All right, so first up, let's talk about Secret Invasion. Now, Secret Invasion is the next live action show from Marvel, and I assume next general show from Marvel. This is set within the MCU. We got footage from it way back at D23, but then we didn't have an official release date. We were told spring of 2023, but we were also originally supposed to have five shows from Marvel this year, and now we're only confirmed for two. So there was a lot up in the air about what it was going to be, how this was all going to work out, any of the details were mysterious, and whether or not they might reshoot if additional photography was required, but now we at least know the release date. Secret Invasion is due out on June 21st. Now, technically, that's the first day of summer, but I guess if you want to argue the equinox, it's the last day of spring going into the first day of summer, so they did hold on to their word. We are getting the show in spring of 2023. This is one of my most anticipated properties of the year. It is a psychological thriller it's an espionage thriller it is samuel jackson leading a tv show and it is the long overdue scroll invasion now if you remember captain marvel which came out in between infinity war and endgame we've teased scrolls and we've teased elements especially in that post credit scene of what's to come with marvel so now we at least know this will be setting up things in the greater mcu this will be leading into the marvels which comes out in november and it will be out in time for all of that to make sense Still no release date on Loki season two yet, but we have confirmed that is coming out this year. The shows that are up in the air include Echo, X-Men 97, What, what If season two. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that we're not really sure when it's going to be here, but we are excited for Secret Invasion to drop on June 21st. All right, let's go from spy thriller to spy thriller with brutal action murder spy thriller john wick 4 there's a strange article out that uh i i really want to like dive into john wick 4 is a whopping three hours long and in those three hours there is so little dialogue that everyone is discussing his pay per word which is an odd thing to do because actors aren't paid just for how they speak they're paid for everything they're doing on screen but while the conversation is around it there are only 380 words spoken by Keanu Reeves and 103 lines of dialogue during the 169 minute runtime of John Wick chapter four, averaging 2.25 words per minute. Now, nearly a third of Reeves' dialogue in the sequel consists of repeating, repeating one word, which is very funny to me. But to put that in comparison, because you don't often think of counting words, it's not how I watch movies, but since it's the news, uh, we're gonna dive into it. Um, there are 484 words in the first John Wick, and that's only 101 minutes. So this film is 
approaching two and a half times that long and it has a hundred less words in it. Now, I personally didn't notice this. Um, I watched the film and never once thought there wasn't enough dialogue. Uh, I was very aware that the film was very intense and ponderous and then action-packed, but I never thought of a lack of dialogue. So it's interesting that this narrative is going around discussing basically uh, the words per minute in a film and also the, the style of filmmaking with his dialogue. But apparently, director Chad Stahelski said, quote, Roughly half the dialogue written for his character in the initial script was removed. For example, in the scene where Wick and the Marquis, played by Bill Skarsgård, hash out the rules of their duel, it was originally scripted with Wick having roughly 50% of the dialogue in that scene. In the film, however, Reeves cuts out big chunks of dialogue and limited Wick to a handful of one-word responses like, Pistol. In the single longest line of the film, oh, this is amazing, the single longest line of the film is, You and I left a good life behind a long time ago, my friend. That is literally the longest line of dialogue, and it's like seven words. I personally love this choice. I am now noticing it retroactively in my mind more and more that that was an element of the film, that minimalism and dialogue was a factor. But to be honest, I didn't uh, see it as a negative. Um, even now, like I think it's a beautiful way to tell a story. I think action films can be action films where action is the narrative because you're sharing the narrative by way of the violence. And if you're emotionally invested in the characters, violence can be just as emotional as dialogue. And this being the fourth film, I love that they trusted the audience to let the violence be emotional. And I love that they trusted the audience to let such a silent, ponderous film really let everything else speak for us. Literally, the score, the punches, the soundtrack, the other actors, like there's, there's a ponderousness and it made the Baba Yaga way scarier that John Wick was, you know, this, this, ominous figure lurking through the film. So personally, I agree with this choice. I think it's a great move. I think Keanu Reeves knows this character better than maybe anyone. Uh, Chad Stahelski, who's directed all four of them, clearly trusted his decision making. And I definitely think this made for a very interesting film. And the box office followed suit. This is the highest grossing John Wick to date. It made over $100 million in its opening weekend. The first film literally like cost $14 million. The escalation of this franchise is absolutely beautiful. If you haven't seen John Wick yet, go check it out. It is sensational. I love this movie. All right, let's go over to The Incredible. Zack Snyder, Army of the Dead. Now, Zack Snyder is usually in the news for DC-based stuff. He is often on Vero, keeping that website alive. He is often keeping the Snyder fans, uh, his, his, his unit of fandom, uh, teased by releasing little moments, little images. He's very good at social media is what I'm saying, but he's also very good at what marketing means to his brand. So he is currently talking about Army of the Dead 2, and it's often causing more and more conversations about the Snyder Cut. But while Army of the Dead 2 does look to be happening, he said, quote, uh, follow, well, this is from DarkHorizons.com. Following the success, lo successful launch of Army of the Dead Netflix back in 2021, a direct sequel to Zack Snyder's Zombie in Vegas movie was originally put in development. Separate from the prequel spinoff film, Army of Thieves, which was released shortly after and made by a different director, the new film was to be titled Planet of the Dead, and as Snyder returning as director and continuing with a larger scale story. Now, of course, Snyder had another job to do with first, his two-part Rebel Moon films, which is essentially his Star Wars, and I think was originally going to be a Star Wars. Uh, recently speaking with the Nerd Queens about where the project stands, Snyder says his army franchise is, quote, still alive and well, end quote, but progress on the sequel will depend on how they go forward with this new franchise. He further says, quote, as far as the army universe goes, it's still alive and well in my mind. 
I know exactly what I would do. It really depends on how we try to figure out how we would go forward with Rebel Moon and the Rebel Moon universe. It's not a small time commitment, the Rebel Moon stuff. Because the sci-fi thing at this scale does require a lot of attention to make it all make sense. It's a very interconnected world and we've been doing our best to make it all make sense. And there's like magic and madness and all the things that are in the universe and how they all, you know, coalesce. It's not a casual pursuit, end quote. I think this is a good way to look at any filmmaking. Uh, I think we're living in an age of IP and sequelitis where people aren't finished with their last projects and everyone's lobbying for the next. We haven't seen Rebel Moon yet. We haven't seen a Rebel Moon trailer yet. We have no Rebel Moon. And yet people are already lobbying for the next Army of the Dead. So passion is important. People being fans of the Army of the Dead is, is great. But let him finish this. Let him finish his Star Wars. Let him finish his beautiful sci-fi epic that he's so invested in now. And I think that once he feels like it's to a point where it's in a, in a safe space, then you're golden. So uh, I personally think this is the right move. I love that he's so honest and forthright with his fans. I love that he is so dedicated to this Rebel Moon universe. And from the beginning, I've been saying it's better for him, I think, to have his own IP than to play in someone else's sandbox. As much as I got a lot of enjoyment out of the Snyder Cut, it took so much lobbying. It took so much bandying with the studio to get that four-hour cut made because of the ownership of those characters. Rebel Moon is his. These are his characters. He can do what he wants with them. Same with Army of the Dead, but I, I want him to get to play in his sandbox as long as he wants, and this sounds exciting. I can't wait for Rebel Moon. It's one of my top 20 of the year, uh, most anticipated. Really excited for the Christmas season because there's a lot of great stuff coming. All right, over from Rebel Moon to... Indiana Jones. Let's go franchise to franchise, because I do think Rebel Moon is going to spawn quite a bunch of movies, but not maybe as many as Indiana Jones, because we've got Indiana Jones 5 going to Colin. Now, Indiana Jones is, I think, all of our collective childhoods. There's something really timeless about Indiana Jones, and there's something multi-generational. Uh, Indiana Jones, I wasn't alive in a lot of the 80s, but I was a little. But it's just as important to me as to my parents. My grandparents love Indiana Jones. And I'm really excited for this film to bring a new generation in because I think there's uh, an element of that old guy movie when it comes to Spielberg and Harrison Ford and that generation that I don't think the Gen Z and, and younger might understand the, the, the power of these films. I'm not saying they have to. I'm not saying they, they you know need to look at these old movies. But I think it can bring in an entire new generation of, of Indiana Jones fans if it's as good as it looks because... Let's be honest, Indiana Jones 4 was not the thing to bring in young millennials or the next generation. But this looks masterful. James Mangold making the love letter to Indiana Jones we've wanted forever. Harrison Ford crying at Celebration when he's talking about, you know, letting this character go and being so emotionally invested in the work that he did with James Mangold means this script was amazing. And overall, the idea of any of these people coming back to work on an indie after 4 makes me think it's exceptional. Now, to top all of that, it looks like it's going to come. Now, Khan is not a place you just drop films off. Khan is a experience of pedigree and prestige, and it's, a, it's an art house experience. So this is where I want to hear a blockbuster is going. This is where I want people to see it for the first time. These are the people's opinions I want on Indy 5 first. I'm very excited for CinemaCon, but I'm terrified that Flash is going to go there and everyone's just going to leak all of CinemaCon's secrets and we're going to know all about the Flash before it's out. I don't feel like we'll get that with Khan. I don't feel like the Khan audience is going to reveal too much Indy 5 uh, secrets and, and details. So it's interesting with these festivals and with all these giant movies, what any of this means for 
the internet culture's ramifications, but it does show confidence that they're bringing it to come. So uh, over in Dark Horizons again, they say, quote, uh, the highly anticipated Indiana Jones looks to be this year's major Hollywood blockbuster premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, the same way Top Gun Maverick was last year. And I think there's a lot of parallels there with what this movie's going to be. Variety reports that the festival has invited the film to screen there and under plans currently being discussed. It will likely premiere early in the festival's run around May 17th or 18th. So that's very soon. This wouldn't be the first time India showed up at Cannes. Steven Spielberg's 2008 fourth installment, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, premiered at the festival that year. So maybe maybe uh, I spoke too high of uh, the type of audience and expectations, but I'm still excited. This film is going to be set in 1969 New York. It's going to have flashbacks using the back-in-the-day mocap goodness of the aging Harrison Ford, as well as present-day Harrison Ford. It also stars Phoebe Waller-Bridge as Indiana Jones' goddaughter, Helena, which I didn't realize until very recently, and it is directed, as I said, by James Mangold. Another giant film, and this was in my rundown of uh, things I wanted to talk about this week, is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, which was just announced to be going to con as well. That is potentially debuting there for the very first time alongside Killers of the Flower Moon from Martin Scorsese. So we got a James Mangold film, a Wes Anderson film, and a Martin Scorsese film all going to con. Everyone that's talking about what superhero films are doing to the box office and what uh, blockbusters are doing to the theater, I totally disagree with the... the well, I mean, Scorsese's mentioned here, but Scorsese's often said, like, you know, these movies are, are rough for cinema, and I think he gets way too much crap. I, I, he's not against them. He just doesn't identify with them. Um, some of his quotes seem a little harsh. But I, I, I think he's become this, uh, you know, spokesperson for a thing that he, I don't think he thinks about them very much. But I think the giant blockbusters and the, these big sequels keep the movie theaters open all year so that smaller films can exist. I think Indiana Jones 5 is going to be Top Gun. But that allows for things like Asteroid City to get a theatrical release. I think that nowadays, Martin Scorsese films aren't as big as they used to be. But because of, you know, your, your Guardians of the Galaxies and your Flash and these giant movies, there's an open cinema. There's a place in the exhibition industry for Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, I'm excited for all of these. I'm personally um, more excited for The Killer and uh, Killers of the Flower Moon and uh, both the Wes Anderson films, then a lot of the superhero films coming out this year. I'm really ready for another surge of the great American directors and the great cinema experts that I consider Scorsese and Fincher and those folks to make their, their next stand. But I honestly think these big tent poles have their place too because they keep the tent up. That's why they're the poles. All right, uh, enough about Khan, enough about Asteroid City. Let's go over to, man, I am hoping my voice makes it through this episode. I am uh, very much aware that I sound like a frog. I am very, very sorry to everyone that is, that is uh, enduring my journey with you. Uh, we're going to go over to Dark Horizons for a talk about a giant tentpole film. And this is some of the craziest uh, news out of Marvel in a good way in a while. We've had a lot of really rocky news out of Marvel, but this to me gives me a lot of really interesting hope with Captain America New World Order because Liv Tyler is coming back. We are getting Liv Tyler officially in Captain America 4 New World Order. I'm going to read you this article. Dark Horizons. Thank you, as ever. After full 15 years... Oh, man. <clears throat> Taking that back. Hopefully this graphic works. So sorry. Brent, I'm, I'm, I apologize for the edit. Uh, Dark Horizons says, quote, 
A full 15 years after co-starring Marvel Studios' The Incredible Hulk, Liv Tyler will make her return to the MCU in the upcoming Captain America New World Order. She will, of course, reprise her role of scientist Betty Ross, daughter of General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, played by the late William Hurt in several films. Harrison Ford will be taking over the role in this new installment in the upcoming Thunderbolts film. Now, I have a ton of questions about this. One, this doesn't sound like Captain America New World Order. This sounds like Captain America Hulk World Order. We've got the leader coming back. We've got likely Red Hulk with Harrison Ford. Now we've got Betty Ross for the first time in 15 years. Now, when she showed up in What If, to me, that was all but confirming we would get Betty Ross in the mainstream MCU. This, to me, makes me wonder if we're going to have some multiversal stuff. Uh, I've been saying for a very long time, I almost guarantee that the multiversal elements of what we're getting with time and the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, I think some of the universes we've been living in now are already disconnected. I think there are movies that aren't in our universe or aren't in the standard MCU universe, that there are already multiversal characters that we just don't know are multiversal yet. And I think it'd be really interesting if this Thunderbolt Ross is a different Thunderbolt Ross or if Ed Norton has some way to play in Captain America New World Order. I don't know if he ever would. I don't know if they're going to address any of the, um, you know, hopping between characters because obviously they didn't with Don Cheadle. There's a couple of fun lines of dialogue, but Terrence Howard and Don Cheadle are the same roadie as far as we know. He is in Secret Invasion. Can you imagine if a scroll had been with us so long that Rhodey was a scroll? Anyway, uh, it, there's a lot of, of fun to play with with Ed Norton if he can make a cameo, if there's some sort of multiversal Hulk elements, if there's anything with Thunderbolt Ross re being recast that means more. And this announcement with Liv Tyler is just huge in general because we haven't had Betty Ross in the MCU since the beginning of the MCU, which is insane. Betty Ross is so important to Hulk, so important to the mythology of what Thunderbolt Ross is. Thunderbolt Ross loves his daughter and hates the Hulk. It is this beautiful man torn between the, the army, which he loves more than his daughter, and what he feels is right for the country. It's a fascinating character. I'm glad she's coming back because I don't think Thunderbolt Ross works as well without Betty Ross. So, Liv Tyler's back. I'm very excited. Let us know in the comments below if you're excited to see Liv Tyler back as Betty Ross. All right, now this episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Now, I use AG1 literally every day. I actually keep a few of those travel packs in my car because I have a bottle of water and I just pour some AG1 in there and then I'm good to go. It is incredible for supporting immune health. It is so chock full of vitamins and minerals and I don't love taking a ton of pills. So it is wonderful to get all the vitamins and minerals I need. Now, I personally love the gym. I work out probably too much. And I do notice an actual boost of energy when it comes to when I'm taking AG1 versus when I'm not. It is a very useful tool for not just energy, but like I said, getting all of the nutrients you need in your body. Now, I personally struggled to find a routine that suited my lifestyle with traveling, with uh, popping in and out of the gym, not at a consistent schedule. But I did notice very quickly that when I started just adding this one thing, I had cleaner skin, cleaner hair, uh, more energy. I was just like an upgrade in life with AG1. I always want to find those little travel hacks and those little like daily habit shifts 
But I also noticed that it does enhance my overall day-to-day well-being because every scoop has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients of the highest quality that give major benefits to gut, mood, and again, hair and skin health. Now, if you're looking for an easier way to take vitamins and supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com slash big thing. That's athleticgreens.com slash big thing. Check it out. And we were talking before about con and flowers of, no, killers of the flower moon. We also finally got a release date for Martin Scorsese's epic Now, I've only seen one image of this movie. I've seen one image, and I know it's Scorsese and Leo, so that's enough for me. But it's the weirdest thing in this 2023 where we see teaser after teaser, trailer after trailer, poster. I feel like by the time movies are out, we've seen the whole movie with Killers of the Flower Moon. I've seen so little. I've seen the book cover, and I've seen Leo sitting at a chair next to someone with, like, a bowl in front of him. That's the only—it was like the whale came out. And I only ever saw the one image of Brendan Fraser in The Whale. It's really weird marketing when you've got those things. But this is an Apple TV movie. So I'm hoping that Apple TV does what they usually do, which is they keep things pretty close to the best. And then right before the release, they put out an incredible trailer. Everybody's like wowed and dives in. And then it wins Oscars and stuff. Also, Apple TV Plus might be the most consistent of the streamers for TV shows. Uh, When I look at the roster of shows, it is insane that they have Shrinking and Ted Lasso and uh, Dickinson, and Mythic Quest. And like, they're just so incredible. So thank you, Apple TV, for giving all, all the craps. Uh, but for Killers of the Flower Moon, it does, mm, for Killers of the Flower Moon, it does look like they're getting a limited theatrical release in partnership with Paramount Pictures that is going to be releasing on Friday, October 6th, in limited New York and LA dates, and then October 20th, getting a bit of a broader theatrical run. So we are getting the insanity of a... Denis Villeneuve Dune movie a mere two weeks out from a new Scorsese film. So this October, which is usually a month of like lulls, October is usually a quiet month in the movies, is at least these two giant forces of nature filmmakers showing what they've got. And I'm really excited for this one. I know very little about it. I just know that Leo's never done a Western. Well, since he was a kid, he did uh, the the quick and the dead with Sam Raimi as an adult, he's never done a Western and Scorsese in all of his years as a filmmaker has never made a Western film. So a Western from these two is already enough to get me excited. Now we've got a release date and I think it's going to be one of those movies of the year. It's also right before Oscar season, which I think is is how we should start releasing these movies more all year round. I think uh, everything everywhere all at once sweeping was a big shift in how we release movies because that came out way before Oscar season. That was almost a year before the actual Oscars came out. And I think we're used to um, like a short-term memory issue. So all these Oscar films usually come out like November, December, and then Oscars, January, like they, they vote and everything. I think we should make all year blockbusters and Oscar films. It should be, what do you want to go to the movies for? You've got different options anytime in the year. Not this strange, like, okay, it's July. We've only got 10 pulls. Okay. It's the winter. We've only got Oscar films. And I think this is a, a good sign that that's happening. And I'm, I'm very, very hopeful. So October 6th, limited October 20th, a bit wider killers of the flower moon. All right. Next up from comicbookmovie.com, We have a great quote from Jason Momoa saying that he will absolutely 
be involved in the DCU. The article says as follows. Jason Momoa is set to reprise the role of Arthur Curry for James Wan's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, but will he remain on as the Atlantean hero in the new DCU that will soon begin to take shape? We've had conflicting reports about Momoa's future as the character, and his status has only become more confusing since the whole Lobo thing. Uh, if you guys haven't been following, hopefully, I mean, if you're on this channel, I'm sure you have, but there's been a lot of really interesting conflicting reports with Lobo versus Aquaman. But the Fast 10 star seems confident that he will continue to play Aquaman moving forward, saying, quote, Peter Safran, my producer on Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom, is a dear friend. I absolutely think Aquaman will be involved in the DCU. It's on, bro. There's no one bigger than Aquaman. But also, I hope people are excited to see the new one. It's fun. I really enjoy doing comedy. There's some really funny stuff with Patrick Wilson. I really adore him. We had a great time working together. It's like we're brothers. There's lots of cool stuff happening on this one. Now, this is in stark contrast to recent rumors about The Lost Kingdom test screening being an outright disaster with one source claiming that the actor was unhappy with the sequel and wanted out of the part so he'd be free to play Lobo. We have no idea how accurate these reports are, but James Gunn did confirm that he wouldn't have an actor play two different roles, which I missed that update. Uh, I did not hear about that thing. So that's exciting that he wouldn't want an actor playing two different roles. That does make more sense. I mean, we all had fun theorizing, you know, Lobo, Aquaman, would he be both? I do think it wouldn't be uh, very approachable for day-to-day -day audiences. And I also don't think it would be conducive to world building. If you want to have a shared universe and one guy's playing two roles, that pretty immediately puts you in a very tricky corner of uh, suspension of disbelief. But if he's confident or if he's willing to, you know, put his name out there like this, I'm intrigued because we had heard some rough things. Now, there's two sides of this. One, actors need to promote their films. They need to say they're good. They need to be a proponent for their work. But two, I don't know how much we should believe every bad um, word of mouth out of a, a screening that we don't know actually existed. Like, I'm sure they've been screening the film. We have no proof that the person that said they saw people walk out was even there. We have no proof any of this happened. And that is a really tricky thing that we're living in right now with the market being so much about us, the consumers that are reporting on these things. And then specifically like, you know, people like myself who report on these things uh, on, a, on a scale. It's interesting that one person can say something, it can become true, and that can actually affect the film. Uh, I think Shazam is a really interesting example of you know, that movie's word of mouth uh, wasn't great and it did not well its opening weekend and then even worse its next weekend. But I don't know if that would have been the case if the film was released a year earlier, if the word of mouth had been positive. Like, there's a lot of power in the word of mouth on a film. So I tend to want to be positive about movies, so I, I am. But the way the Shazam reaction was, I'm more worried than ever about Blue Beetle and Aquaman 2. I feel like Flash is kind of like Guardians 3 in that it's its own little thing that's safe. Uh, I feel like people are just excited for Flash because they've heard only rave things. But I do worry about those other films in the, the journey to the DCU and whether or not people will give them a chance. I know I'm going to see Blue Beetle. I think we're getting a trailer soon. Uh, I know I'm going to be there for Aquaman 2. I hope it's better than that one person or those few people at, at a screening said it was. But Momoa giving some love here, saying that he had a great time with Patrick Wilson. I'm intrigued by what a comedy, like a pure comedy is from James Wan. Time will tell. We're going to find out this December. Hopefully it gets a full release uh, and, and things don't change again for DC before that. All right, next, also from comicbookmovie.com, I want to dive into this Wilson Fisk stuff. Kingpin is back. We have Daredevil Born Again coming very soon, but now we've got our first set photo on the 
Now we've got our first set photo of Kingpin on set in his full regalia. And I got to say, as much as it was fun in Hawkeye to have a screen accurate uh, Hawaiian shirt from a comic moment, it feels so right to have Kingpin look so mayoral. I honestly think by the end of 2025, it's going to be a President Ross, Thunderbolt Ross, Red Hulk Ross as the president and the mayor of New York City is going to be the kingpin of crime. And we're going to see a very interesting shift with Thunderbolts, with all of the world that hates and fears them elements leading up to X-Men. We've got a lot of really interesting stuff cooking, but with the actual image also comes some interesting quotes from D'Onofrio, who basically said, there is a season two. They've already written it. It's coming. He said that they're going to be making season two. He's excited. He loves the way the first season ends. I, I can't believe that these quotes are coming out. Um, by the time you're seeing this, I am going to be in Florida. I'm going to be sitting down with Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox to talk about Daredevil. So I'm hoping to get some more uh, direct word back for you guys. But in the meantime, season two of Daredevil Born Again seems like it's a go, at least according to the Kingpin himself. And it seems like we're going to be building out the world of Daredevil for a long time. If you remember uh, about a year and a half ago, Charlie Cox said, if all goes well, he's going to be working the next 10 years. And he was talking about Daredevil. He was talking about the MCU. So we're in for a glorious time, but it all starts right here with this first look of a very mayoral Wilson Fisk. All right, and in Mario news, because this is the big thing, and I want to talk all about everything that I'm excited about, not just comic stuff, I'm going to talk about Mario stuff. Mario is out very, very soon, and it is one of my most anticipated movies of the year, and Super Mario Brothers star Chris Pratt has actually commented on the negative feedback he's gotten, and he's surprisingly, like, open and, and emotionally vulnerable about it. Uh, this is from Tunado.com saying, when it was revealed that Illumination, the studio responsible for the Minions franchise, was making a Super Mario Brothers movie, the response from fans was a little mixed. However, that negativity was taken to the next level when Guardians of the Galaxy star Chris Pratt was cast as the title character. He's a great actor, but with the best in the world, doesn't sound like the Mario from the games. In recent months, the trailers have helped turn the tide, and it's clear Pratt has put a lot of work into bringing the iconic plumber to life. In a new interview, he was asked outright about fans who believe Mario should sound more Italian, and he said, quote, come watch the movie. Go watch the movie and then we can talk. You know what? In all honesty, I think you need to watch it twice. He got serious, adding, this is a passionate fan base and it makes sense. I understand. I'm a part of it. This is the soundtrack to our youth. You don't want someone to come along and destroy it as a cash grab with a movie. I fully understand you'll want that to happen. There are so many hearts and souls and minds dedicated to making sure that didn't happen. It honors the video game and honors the world of Mario. It's very promising as to what we can expect from the next 10 years with an entire universe with these type of movies. Okay. For one, I people got things to say about Chris Pratt. I'm only going to focus on this quote. That is so heartfelt and real and so, like, humbling. He just, like, has dealt with people being a monster to him. And it was like, you know what? I'm going to navigate this by just saying, like, I'm part of the fandom. I love it, too. I think this was what we could do. I think we were all dedicated. We all put our heart and souls into it. And it's not just me. There's a lot of us putting our heart and souls into it. I honestly think this was a great way to address it. And I'm I'm not going to judge it until I see it. I, I'm, like I said, one of my most anticipated movies of the year is this Mario. And I wasn't thrilled to hear it wasn't Charles Martinet. I wasn't thrilled to hear it wasn't like a hyper Italian Mario voice. But at the end of the day, I know selling tickets is part of the journey for live action and animated films. And I think a lot of the times the studios think they need to cast 
above-the-line talent for lead voices in movies in order to get butts and seats. I don't know how true that is. I don't know necessarily uh, what I would have done differently, but I do know hearing someone passionate about it is way more important to me than, um, you know, someone with a thick Italian accent that doesn't care about it. Uh, And I also think that this movie could start an entire shared universe of Nintendo things. I think the Nintendo mythology is so rich and so interesting and so like full of, of life and, and mythology that I'd love that shared universe. I think video game movies have finally turned the corner, whether it's, uh, you know, Sonic and Sonic 2. I know Uncharted wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but I enjoyed it more than, than other comic book movies. And I honestly think Sonic 2 is the best comic book movie. We've we hit a new momentum, a new stride, and this one looks exceptional. And I personally think Illumination doesn't get the credit they deserve for how big the Minions films are, for how much they invest in a lot of these characters. So uh, I really think, I think that we're in good hands until proven otherwise. So I'm excited for some Mario. All right, this episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, I love BetterHelp because I am a huge proponent for mental health, and I think it is so important to talk about it, to address it, to be in therapy, and I love that BetterHelp is teaming up with us on this. Getting to know yourself is a lifelong process because we change, we evolve, and we need to take those moments to look at ourselves, and that self-awareness is so unique to each and every one of us, and BetterHelp connects you to a licensed therapist who can help be that mirror, who can help take you on that journey of self-discovery to figure out who you are right then, whenever, and wherever you are. Now, I've had so many benefits from therapy personally, where I've figured out things about myself that I didn't realize, where I've figured out things about others and how that affects myself that I didn't realize, where I realized I was doing things that were not as beneficial as I thought they were. I, I literally realized, uh, you know, that I use, you know, the gym as a coping mechanism versus like it just being all healthy and like you can be addicted to good things. And I think therapy is a wonderful thing for finding coping skills, for setting boundaries, for making all of your relationships better, your relationship to others and your relationship to yourself. So I think BetterHelp is a wonderful, wonderful tool. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online. It is convenient. It is flexible. You can do it, like I said, anywhere. And it is very, very amiable to your schedule. So not just physically, but time-wise, there are so many therapists on schedules that can help you out. You just fill out a brief you just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash big thing today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash big thing. With Fast 10 being on the cover of Empire this month, we have some more Fast 10 quotes and I'm very excited to dive into them. I am so excited for this franchise. This is from actionnews.com. With marketing ramping up, Universal's Fast 10 has landed the cover of next month's issue of Total Film, and the magazine has shared a new image from the highly anticipated action sequel that is expected to be the first part of an epic two-part finale, with the 11th chapter expected to wrap up the storyline sometime in 2024 or 2025. Uh, I'm very excited for the undated. I love that the, as the, they, they say this, as the franchise nears the finish line with the undated Fast and the Furious 11 expected to close the door in this franchise, fans have been wondering whether the creative team would find a way to honor the late Paul Walker and his character Brian O'Connor in one of these last two films. 
While Walker tragically passed in late 2013, his character received a proper send-off in Furious 7. Now, the Fast 10 being nearly here, an 11th installment not far away, they did sit down with Vin Diesel, and uh, Vin Diesel did get asked about the possibility of Brian O'Connor. So, uh, the director of Fast 10 admits that Brian O'Connor's not a part of Fast 10. Uh, Louis Leterrier directed, um, like, Transporter, uh, Incredible Hulk, 2008. He's a producer over at Marvel, and he's a producer here, and he's directing Fast 10. He He's a, such a good director. I'm so excited for Fast 10. But Vin said of Fast 11, quote, that moment in 2013 when the world was struggling with his loss, the studio made a very bold and righteous and daring decision to keep Brian O'Connor alive. I will give you this without spoiling anything. I couldn't imagine this saga ending without truly saying goodbye to Brian O'Connor. That is a very intense and heavy thought. Um, I personally, uh, love that, you know, he's referenced in the films afterward. Uh, there, there's a moment where there's a chair empty at the barbecue. Um, and, and Letty says, I always say, I got one more chair. And then, you know, Vin turns around and, and the eye line is theoretically to you, the viewer, which is Brian O'Connor, his daughter's still in the films. Um, but the idea of seeing Brian again, that's going to be hard. So I, I do think it's a beautiful send off if they end the franchise with a shot. And I know that, you know, Cody Walker, his brother is, is so, I cannot imagine going through um, playing your brother that you lost in real life and, and being on set as him. But I, I think it's unique in this franchise that Cody can honor Brian O'Connor and honor his brother in real life by giving them the send off. So personally, if they handle it tastefully, I don't feel like this is um, like a deep fake to bring someone back from the dead in a cash grab way. It feels like a memoriam. It feels like a send off, just like that song does, just like the end of Fast 7 does. So I actually, for the first time, and I'm surprised by it, uh, am for this use of that technology with the Walker's blessings and uh, Cody, you know, taking on the mantle of Brian O'Connor again. So I I'm very intrigued how they handle it. And 2025, we might find out. If, if Fast 11 comes out in 2025, that is one of the craziest years in movies ever. We're going to have the DCU starting. We're going to have Marvel bringing us some Avengers craziness. We're going to have the Batman coming out. The Joker, I think, is the year before. But the Batman coming out fast. Like, that's like every single week in 2025. It's like more than this year's craziness. Uh, on another note, with Kurt Russell's Mr. Nobody presumed dead or missing after the events of F9, franchise newcomer Brie Larson... I'm very excited about this, has finally confirmed who she'll be playing. She's playing his daughter, Tess, and it sounds like she'll be a powerful ally for the Toretto's. Saying, quote, Tess is Mr. Nobody's daughter. She is technically agency, but she's kind of a bridge in a way. She doesn't, sorry, she doesn't go along with the way that the agency's headed now that her father isn't there. She believes in the legacy that her father set up, which is standing with Dom and standing with the Toretto family and is fighting for that. Dom knows that she has a strong mind and definitely respects that she's gone out of her way to talk to him and wants to build trust. What he asks of Tess is a test. Like, if it's an impossible task and she can get it done, then that's family for life. All right. You know I love family. And I love that Brie Larson is playing family of Mr. Nobody. Kurt Russell's daughter, Brie Larson. Yes! Everybody's got family. That's why this cast can grow and grow and grow. Um, I was wondering who Brie Larson was playing. I thought it'd be someone related to someone. Not disappointed. Mr. Nobody's daughter, Brie Larson, doing a test for the Toretto's and not being thrilled at the agency's direction. All of that has me intrigued. All of that has me ready for some fast goodness. And all of that has me looking forward to more time with my family. All right, last two quick news stories for you, lovely. Speaking of spinoffs in the world 
of action franchises. John Wick, should have mentioned this earlier, I did want to bring up that Anna de Armas' ballerina is set for spring or summer of next year. Uh, that's so soon. And then The Continental, which is the TV show spinoff of John Wick, is set for fall on Peacock of next year. So this is also from Action News, uh, saying that with John Wick Chapter 4 opening to a franchise vast $137.5 million, including 73.5 domestic, um, the demand to see Baba Yaga has never been higher. And they've been actually talking about even though this was originally going to be the end with John Wick 4, that they might do a John Wick 5. So we might get spinoffs and more John Wick and more craziness. They're going to count as words then? Probably. It's a weird thing. Weird thing. Uh, while both Keanu Reeves and director Chad Stasky has been fairly adamant about letting the character rest for now as they pursue new creative endeavors, Lionsgate is understandably keen on making more John Wick movies. With Lionsgate uh, group chair Joe Drake telling Deadline, quote, we're not ready to say goodbye to Keanu with this franchise. It's what alternative there would be. There's a lot of different things that we can do. I've seen this movie five times in the last week. I can see the way the audience moves him. Oh, I love that. So not only are we potentially getting that, we also have the prequel film Ballerina, which stars Academy Award nominee and Anna Armas in the lead role and is set to take place between three and four. So Keanu could absolutely be John Wick as a mentor to uh, Ballerina. He could absolutely pop up in any number of things. Um, franchi uh, franchise mainstays Keanu Reeves, Ian McShane, and Lance Reddick. Oh, I didn't know he filmed more. The late Lance Reddick will all reprise their respective roles in the Lynn Wiseman-directed spinoff. Lynn Wiseman made the M Underworld films, fantastic director. And then uh, Drake teases a likely spring or summer 24th release date for that. And then again, next fall on Peacock for the Continental. So lots of goodness coming in the world of action. And finally, my last bit, while I have a semblance of a voice, 90% Rotten Tomatoes score lands for Dungeons and Dragons. If you guys haven't seen Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves, do so. I loved it. I did a lot of reviews on it. I'm so happy to see this high of Rotten Tomatoes score, a 90% for, I think, a new franchise. This feels like um, Star Trek, the Kelvin universe, when it started, how it was like, this can do everything. This feels like the beginning of the Avengers, where it's like so much potential for world building and spreading out these characters. This this movie is a blast, and it's landed at a 90%, and that makes me very happy that it's so, so fresh. Check out, if you haven't, Dungeons & Dragons. It is such a good time at the movies. It's like, yes, and the movie. It is so spontaneous and so fun and so magical. It's a good time. All right, that is going to do it for the big thing. Thank you for bearing with uh, my voice. I uh, do apologize. I've I've conned so hard. WonderCon broke me, and I'm heading to MegaCon, so I'm going to keep whatever voice I can from this. If you're in Florida, hunt me down at MegaCon. I'll be there uh, doing a lot of panels. I'm going to drink a lot of tea, and hopefully I get my voice back. And in the meantime, go watch a movie. Go tell someone you like them, and uh, make some cool art. Mm -hmm.